Hello, my name is Kenneth Davis, and you're listening to The Kilted Preacher. Let's go ahead and start in this segment. Turn with me now to Proverbs 29.18. Today I'm going to be reading from the Living Bible Translation. Proverbs 29.18. Where there is ignorance of God, crime runs wild. But what a wonderful thing it is for a nation to know and keep his laws. And King James, and I think it's New King James, it says, Where there is a lack of vision... Uh, men cast off restraint, and that's kind of the theme for today's message that I felt uh, pressed by the Lord to talk on. Um, it, it's it's a very apparent thing that uh, there is there's something being cultivated to pick certain noble, you know, quote unquote, noble causes to be angry at a certain object and to cast off all restraint, have no regard for public safety or, you know, the laws that govern our land, and do what you feel is right, according to your emotions. Um, And I see this very scripture happening in front of my eyes, because I'm hearing all sorts of um, cries of injustice. Uh, Pick your topic, whether, you know, corrupt politician or whether... Uh, racial discrimination and oppression, you know, pick your topic. There's a lot of them going on right now. And um, all these are, you know, seemingly noble causes to join. And, you know, there's even there's even the uh, stance of if you're not with us, then you're against us. And what I'm not seeing is... Uh, ministers, and it could just be because I'm just not seeing, but what I'm not seeing is ministers taking active steps in their communities um, to deal with these issues. Because in all honesty, the root of all these problems that are going on, the things that people are ranting on on social media about, you know, their moral uh, gaslighting about, you know, look how awesome I am. I'm for, you know, this movement or that movement or you know, I, I come in agreement with this group of people and shame on these group of people. And, you know, I wouldn't care if these people die, you know, because these people deserve a chance, whatever the case. And I'm being very vague in general. Um, you're probably going to fill in blanks in your own mind and that's whatever. Um, but in all honesty, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about these things because these are, these are symptoms of a bigger problem. And what I'm talking about is the bigger problem, the root of all these issues. And I'm not seeing ministers, you stand behind a pulpit on a weekly basis, or you did before the, you know, ordinances that have been going in our nation, you know, wherever you live, whatever restrictions apply. You know, if, if, if you're a preacher, pastor, specifically if you're a pastor of a church, any religious establishment, any denomination, I present this challenge to you. And the reason why I present this challenge to you is because I strongly believe, based on scriptural basis, that the condition of any society is apparent because of the condition of the pulpit. And if our society is casting off restraint and showing all sorts of disregard for the laws that govern our land, that help facilitate everyone's freedom and provides equal opportunity for everyone, you know, political... Jazz aside, this has nothing to do with politics, and this has nothing to do with personal preferences or opinion. My point being, because it specifically talks about people 
disregarding laws in the Bible, in Proverbs 29:18. here. This is where I'm coming from. Again, I'm, I'm addressing the root issue, not specific issues. Then, where are you? Where are you at? You know, something I saw that was really heartbreaking at the beginning of, uh, you know, this pandemic, uh, as it's being called, were pastors getting on social media, doing all sorts of goofy challenges, which is whatever, but the problem that I was seeing was no one was preaching the gospel. No one was telling their people, hey, stand on the word of God. This, this might be the circumstances going on in our nation right now, but the Word of God says. I wasn't seeing any of that, and that is my problem. That is my issue. And at this point, you might be asking, well, who is this crazy random nobody, you know, presenting a, you know, such a challenge to any given religious establishment? Well, the thing is this. Um, I wasn't a Christian. I didn't grow up a Christian. I wasn't looking for Christ when I got born again. Uh, in fact... I didn't know the gospel message until actually after I got born again, and uh, I was I was 13 years old out on a cliff in Lake Whitney, and I was looking for beer bottles that were left behind by Hill County Hill County College students the night before. I wasn't looking for God. I was living my life. It wasn't that I felt like I hit rock bottom, although that actually was the case. But my point being was I wasn't feeling desperate and in despair, and so I turned to God. I was very happy with the life I was living, living a very debaucherous, hedonistic, sinful life. I wasn't looking for God, but God came and found me. And I think some of the reason why God showed himself to me is, A, he said he would in his word, that he reveals himself to every human being. But B, there was literally not a single gospel preacher within a hundred mile radius of me to give me the gospel. And I think some of the reason why I got born again is kind of a reproach to you could say the the fat shepherds that really don't tend the flock that really don't cultivate the word of god in them that really don't preach the gospel and that's my issue is you know regardless if you think this nation is christian or not this nation has had a history of over 300 years of the gospel not being preached with the exception of you know for example uh whether you call it the Great Calamity or the Great Awakening, when the Wesley brothers came to the United States from England and started preaching the gospel, telling people, you know, what they needed to hear uh, in order to meet God on his terms of peace uh, so that they can actually encounter God, then, you know, there was a few movements here and there. But the church as a whole has very much been absent in this area. And it's because, for some reason... Even though the Bible is very clear on this, we think that we can tailor the gospel the way we want to tailor it. That we can make it, you know, palatable to the hearer. And so we will add or we will subtract from that message uh, to tailor to the crowds that we are speaking to. And uh, the thing is, is the gospel is not our message. It's not our message to taint. It's not our message to mess up. It's not our message, period. It's the gospel. It's God's message. It's his, it's his perfect tool that, you know, he who created us knows what to use and what to do to salvage us, to fix us, to bring us out of the rightful despair that we should feel and don't uh, because of the, a reprobate mind in sin and bring us into hope and into the kingdom of his son. Uh, 
God knows what's best for us. And there's a word that for some reason has become uh, almost a swear word amongst Christians for some reason. And that word is repentance. And the thing is, is it's absolutely necessary for salvation. 100% necessary. It's not a bad word at all. And if anyone preaches repentance, that person is not necessarily a bad person. They could have the worst motives in the world for preaching the gospel. They may feel that they are, you know, God's greatest gift to the earth and you're the scum of the earth and you need to hear this message. You know, they, they, they could be that person. But if they're preaching the gospel, the, the gospel is correct. You know, if they're sticking to the words, sticking to the scripture, if they're sticking to the script, so to speak, then the, uh, the message itself is pure because it came from the Lord, if they're sticking to that script. But that being said, where I think I have a, a say-so in all this is I really do feel that some of the reason why I got born again was a reproach to people who refused to preach the gospel and call themselves Christian. And if you have a problem with that, you can take that up with God because he's the one who saved me. And uh, I wasn't looking for him. So that's between you and him. Uh, but that being said... I want to show you something from Jeremiah 18.12. Turn with me there. And this is uh, Judah, the people of Judah speaking. But they replied, Do not waste your breath. We have no intention whatever of doing what God says. We will continue to live as we want to, free from any restraint, full of stubbornness and wickedness. And I think this message is extremely appropriate, especially because what today is, you know, today is July 3rd. It's the day before our Independence Day, and something that has been twisted into this obscure view is that freedom means freedom from consequences, and we can do whatever we want. And that is not at all the freedom that our forefathers had in mind for us when uh, they fought against the oppression of imperialistic Britain and came up with our own constitution and then kept on fighting until after 1816, you know, so that boundaries can be established to what now is our nation, essentially, uh, both on the Canadian front and then on, on uh, the ocean front there in the east. So, you know, this what we call freedom now is not at all what uh, was intended, but to facilitate the basic rights that are God-given that we can expect because God gave us these abilities and it's freedom of choice. Uh, you know, even if you're not a Christian, you do have the choice from God to worship Him or not. That That is completely your choice. And that choice was given to you by God. And our ability to make decisions and to choose freely uh, is a key characteristic of God. And that is actually the thing that makes us sons of God. Because contrary to popular belief, it's not that God can't do wrong. It's that He chooses to always do the right thing. That's why He's righteous. He could. He has the ability to. He just doesn't. And that is the key thing that makes us reflect his image is freedom of choice. And our nation's founders had put, you know, in the Constitution, you know, to facilitate life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Now, what that did not mean was free everything and I can do whatever I want, even if it's blatant disregard for the law, and I shouldn't be fined and or thrown in prison for my actions. That is not at all what uh, freedom is. And just like the people of Judah here, 
uh, they said, we will continue to live as we want to, free from any restraint. And, you know, this is probably Jeremiah throwing this in here, full of stubbornness and wickedness. But uh, they told Jeremiah flat out, don't waste your time. We have no intention of doing what God says. And there are many people uh, in today's society that would say that uh, to any given person. And, you know, Isaiah put it very plainly, there's none in righteousness, there's no not one, there's none who seek after God. You know, and I personally can attest to this. Before I got born again, I did not want to hear what you had to say about Jesus. Guarantee it. However, that does not mean, and that should not discourage any pulpit preacher from preaching the gospel. Because you have a mandate from God to do so. You are commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ himself to preach the gospel. You can turn to any end of any of the four Gospels, and there is a message there telling you, preach the Gospel. Uh, some people want to justify the fact that they don't preach the Gospel with things like Matthew 28, 19, that says, go and make disciples. But you cannot... But this, the point was, this is today's society. They don't want to hear, and they want to continue to live as they want to, free from consequences of their actions. And I bring that up because this is very evident in today's society, and it's our local church's fault. It's our local church's fault because people do not go and preach the gospel. Preachers do not preach the gospel behind their pulpits, within their four walls, in their little steeple, or whatever kind of building edifice that they preach out of, or uh, the lack thereof. Um, point being, the gospel is not preached. And as a matter of fact, for the past 300 years, there has been a tailoring to the gospel is bad and you know, this universalism is good, uh, which actually I would say there's a pressure for this universalism uh, philosophy and credence since, you know, the resurrection of Christ. It's kind of been around uh, in the early churches, early church fathers talk about it, and then really, honestly, uh, Constantine kind of took off with it and used it as a political device for Roman conquest, and... Uh, not to get into a huge history lesson there. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're going to move on. Um, and there are consequences for not preaching the gospel. Turn with me to Ezekiel 33.6. You know what? I'm going to back up a few scriptures. Let's go to Ezekiel 33.4. Then anyone who hears the alarm but refuses to heed, well, if he dies, the fault is his own. For he heard the warning and he wouldn't listen. The fault is his. If he had heeded the warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and does not sound the alarm and warn the people, he is responsible for their deaths, and they will die in their sins. But I will charge the watchman with their deaths. So right there, this was the Lord talking to Ezekiel, and the Lord was making a comparison between the prophet who is to preach the word of God and a watchman who's on the wall of some fortification, who's keeping an eye out if there is, you know, a malignant entity of people coming, a force, a, uh, an opposing army is coming, and he does not blow the horn and warn people, rally the militia, and have the civilians, you know, uh, hide like they're supposed to, like, you know, the city plan would be, you know, whatever the, the king of that city would, would put in, in the plan there. He says, if the watchman warns, and the militia doesn't rally, and the people do not hide in their house for safety like they're supposed to, and everyone dies, 
the watchman is not at fault because he warned just like he was supposed to. But if the watchman does not warn, uh, the enemy come in, the enemy comes, the militia isn't rallied, the people don't hide in safety, they will die, and they will die in their sins, but it will be the watchman's fault. And the comparison to be made here is the Lord is telling Ezekiel the prophet, if you do not prophesy as I tell you to do, their blood will be on your head. And the thing is, is today, the word prophesy is synonymous with the word preach. A prophet is a preacher. As a matter of fact, anyone, you know, if you go through Ephesians 4.12, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, all these people preach. You know, some might say that the preacher is the pastor and solely the pastor, but that's not the case. Because all these people speak the word of God to the body of Christ. For the edification of the body of Christ and for the maturity of the body of Christ until we're together in unity and one faith. That's exactly what the scripture says in, in Ephesians 4.13. All these people speak the word of God. All these people preach the word of God. Even a teacher preaches the word of God because they have to speak the word of God to teach the word of God. So the word preach there really is synonymous with prophesy. And... This is to be taken in New Testament context. You know, this is to be taken in context after the resurrection of Christ. Especially if those who were hollering crucify were deemed responsible for his blood. And, and his blood would be on their heads and the heads of their children as they had sworn by. How much more so if you know the answer to the problem. If you know that someone is about to die and is about to be condemned and thrown in the lake of fire, you know what could save them. You have the information they need to obtain a way to escape from that wrath coming, and you do not deliver it. I do believe the Bible says, he who knows, knows to do, do better and doesn't is in sin. And that is absolutely the case here. That would make you a very heartless individual. Uh, you know, let's put this in context in the past hundred years. If, if you knew... That, you know, let's take the Jewish concentration camps. You knew these people were about to be put into these quote-unquote showers, you know, and they were about to be gassed and killed, and then their bodies moved out of the way for the new crowd to come in, gas killed, you know, rinse, wash, repeat. You know, very, very morbid, very graphic, very horrible, uh, inhumane way of disposing of people. Not that there is a good way to dispose of people. But my point being, if you knew this was going on, and you had the power to do something about it, and by simply, you know, conveying your voice would would stop all of this, and you didn't do it, their blood is on your head. And I'm telling you, community church leaders, pastors, preachers, people behind the pulpit who preach on a weekly basis, or at least did before all this fiasco went down this year, um... Uh, who still consider themselves and call themselves pastors or preachers or, you know, bishops or apostles, whatever title you throw, you know, behind your name and you are responsible for a congregation of people and you, you know, teach the scripture or some kind of religious setting, you know, you get my point. You're responsible for your community and you are responsible that are going crazy. They are going bananas out here, okay? There's all kinds of disregard for human decency and practicality and sensibility and 
following order and conduct. There's there's all kinds of disregard. And people are saying the vilest of things on all manners of social media. You can't look at this as a giant, vague, you know, almost ethereal entity out there. These are people. These are individual people that live, you know, somewhere here in the United States. And there is a preacher within proximity of these people. My point being is it starts with you, preacher. It starts with you, pastor, to start preaching the gospel to these lost people and stop calling lost people saved and stop calling saved people lost. And, you know, to these people that dispute doctrinal differences and say, you know, because you don't agree with my doctrine, you know, you must be a heretic, you know, forget that mess, honestly. Like, let's let's just all agree on the basics, you know, the very basic principles that are within the Bible, and let's be content with that for now, for the time being. Uh, with that being said, turn with me to Luke sixteen nineteen. I'm going to give you a perspective um, that you may not have thought in this way before. But actually, I want to give you the perspective of a condemned man, and I want to give you this perspective straight from the mouth of Jesus. Okay, Luke 16, verses 19 and following, pretty much the end of the chapter. There was a certain rich man, Jesus said, who was splendidly clothed and lived uh, each day in mirth and in luxury. On the day Lazarus, a diseased beggar, was laid at his door. As he lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the beggar died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham in the place of the righteous dead. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to hell. There in torment he saw Lazarus in the far distance with Abraham. And he said, Father Abraham, hath pity. Send Lazarus over here, if only to dip uh, the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, Remember, remember that during your life you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now here uh, he is here, being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm uh, separating us, and anyone uh, wanting to come over to you from here is stopped at the edge, and no one over there can cross over to us. Then the rich man said, O oh, Father Abraham, then please send my father's home, uh, send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers to be warned about this place of torment, lest they come here when they die. I know there was like a popular thing going around, you know, in Christian circulation for a while. I think it was called like the letter from hell or something. Uh, but here you have straight from Jesus. And um, I don't think this is a parable. I mean, it's probably considered a parable, but Jesus knew a man named Lazarus. And there was rich men that Jesus did talk to. This very well could have actually happened. And if not specifically with these two individuals, the rich man and Lazarus, it certainly has and does and will continue to happen until the return of Christ. Because there are definitely people who die and go to hell every day. Uh, more than any pastor or preacher would like to actually acknowledge um, there are hundreds of thousands of people that die every day worldwide and 
what do you, what do you honestly think? You know, most of these people wind up. And if you tell me that that you honestly think that the majority of these people, you know, repented of their sins, became born again believers, then you know, you live one really sheltered life. Because even Jesus himself said, many will try, a few find. Jesus gave the statistic probability of people reaching into the kingdom very low. And that, that applies to us. That applies to me. That applies to everyone. And why is that? Because what's required for salvation is denial of oneself. And no one wants to deny oneself. But it's the complete and total denial of oneself. This is how we enter the narrow gate. But here you have a condemned man on fire in anguish and hell. Now Abraham responded to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing, so here you are being, uh, so uh, now he is here being comforted in you in anguish. Abraham said that the thing is this it's not that he is being punished for being rich and Lazarus being comforted because he was poor, it's because there's a lot that's being implied here. The rich man wouldn't adhere to his conscience and wouldn't adhere to the practicality of he had more than enough and could have at least gave the scraps to Lazarus. You know, it's that he had an absolute abhorrent hatred for Lazarus. He, and his neglect, you know, and probably because of the caste system of Israel at this time, he probably cursed and spat upon literal poor Lazarus, which was not an uncommon thing to happen. Uh, as you read the scripture, the aristocracy there in Israel, uh, you can see the Sanhedrin, for example. You know, they despised uh, those who were of lower demographics, you know, and resorted to, you know, other means to obtain money. You know, for example, there was a, there was a Pharisee who uh, scrutinized this woman who was formerly a prostitute who uh, wept at Jesus' feet in his house and washed his feet in her tears and, and uh, wiped his feet dry with her hair. She was coming in genuine contrition, you know, that she was laying her life down. She was no longer going to live the life that she was living. But because this rich Sanhedrin member, I think he was a Pharisee, uh, could only see that this woman was a prostitute and that she was in his house and that she was touching Jesus. He was associating Jesus as a prostitute, making that connection there, not calling Jesus a prostitute, but putting him on the same level in his mind as a prostitute. And he said this shouldn't be because Jesus was this great teacher. You know, and have despised the poor in this town, especially because poor people... Uh, beggars depended on the rich, you know, for alms, as was the system that was put in place if you look in the history here. So, very well be, there could have been an underlying hatred for Lazarus because of who he was. And that being said, you know, I just want to point this out. If you have hatred in your heart for whatever reason, for any human being, for whatever reason, whether it's I'll say this, whether it's because of the pigmentation in their skin or the lack of. If you have hatred in your heart towards your fellow man, and I'll say this, you know, I'll even throw this. If if you're one of these people, you know, let's just throw uh, Westboro Baptists out there. They were specifically known for hating the homosexual community. Now, the Bible deems homosexuality a sin. That's absolutely true. 
but it's just as much a sin to hate, you know, a homosexual, period. Just because you hate him. The reason doesn't matter. But hatred towards your fellow mankind is just as much a sin as homosexuality, as just as much a sin as murder, as just as much a sin as prostitution. Because with God, sin is sin is sin. And if you have hatred in your heart, that is sin. And hate breeds hate, and violence breeds violence. And, you know, we're off the... We're off that specific topic, and now I'm getting back to the 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 root of the symptoms that are being shown here. The problem is sin. That there's so much hate breeding hate for different various reasons. Uh, you know, if there are corrupt politicians out there, which I'm not saying there's not, but I'm saying if there's corrupt politicians out there, greed is uh, love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It that's sin. It's not that it's wrong to be rich. It's that it's sinful to be greedy like that. Uh, because typically you would step on another individual, you know, just saying this out here, you'd step on another individual for your own gains. Selfishness, you know, which is idolatry uh, in another sense. I mean, this could come all the way back around with one action, all ten commandments could be broken, you know. And the point being is sin is sin is sin. And sin is the problem that's running rampant in this nation. And the fact that sin is running rampant in this nation, people are casting off restraint. They have no regard for your decency. They have no regard for sensibility. People are casting off restraint. Regardless of the cause, people are casting off restraint. And while this is happening, you have pulpit preachers. I say it like that because I'm talking about, you know, everyone... Whether I even think you're a Christian or not, but everyone who falls under this category as some, you know, proselyte behind some wooden box somewhere, or is elevated to some kind of stance to be able to teach other individuals about your religious doctrine. There are people out there who are dying and on their way to hell, and the message that could save their life, you know, it's right between your eyes. The word is in your mouth. And the thing that they need is not being given. And this boils down to the local church. This goes back to the small community, you know, that makes up, I mean, the, the backbone of the United States is, you know, communities, neighborhoods, you know, whatever kind of housing you live in, it's, you know, realty of one sort or another. Where people live. That is the backbone in the United States. And the condition of the people in the United States is a direct reflection upon the condition behind the pulpit. And so I'm challenging you. Because just like this rich man cried out to Abraham. Though he is condemned and there's no hope for him. He knows there's no hope for him. Whenever you're judged by God and you're thrown in the lake of fire. You have complete and total understanding. You know there is absolutely no hope for you at this point. When you are thrown into the mouth of hell and, and the gates shut behind you, you know you are not getting out again. You know you are there to endure an eternity of torment. To take upon yourself the wrath of God and for all eternity without stop, without ceasing, 
only to grow in intensity, you know, where time doesn't exist and yet every passing moment is an eternity. You will just endure the wrath of God over and over and over and over. And righteously so. And you know it's righteously so. And you know you had the choice. You had the chance. You had this thing called a conscience that told you you shouldn't have done the things that you'd done. And you knew that you know you had provoked God to wrath whether you understood it in these exact words or not. And you know you needed to be honest with that God. Because only He had the answers. You knew every day of your life His hand of mercy was extended to you because God makes Himself known to every man. And His hand of mercy is extended every day of our life until our life is extinguished. And granted, our life is here today and gone tomorrow. That's a chance, a lifetime, to turn away from sin. That, that, that is a moment, a space in time, that we consider a lifetime to escape from the wrath to come. But every day, you refuse that hand of mercy. And every day, you spat in the face of God because you wanted to do what you wanted to do. And I heard someone say this before, and I, I don't remember their name. But the thing that any given person has to do to earn a seat in the place of the lake of fire is keep living the nominal life that you are currently living. You may not think you're a bad person. And you may have a lot of friends you know, who would vouch for your character and say this person is good. But God's judgment has nothing to do with if you think or if your friends think you're a good person or not. God's judgment is very plain. Have you broken His commandments? Well, if you've broken His commandments, you deserve, a lake, you deserve the lake of fire. You deserve judgment. And the only way to escape that is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's through His blood. And the grace of God applying that blood to your life so that your payment for an eternity in hell is made full in Jesus. Him taking on God's wrath on your behalf so that you could in righteousness escape that wrath because he would pay that fine. It's no different than if you don't pay a fine and you have a warrant. And then, you know, a, a judge is out for you and law enforcement, they'll pull you over and say, oh, you got a warrant for your arrest. So then they arrest you and, you know, you get thrown in jail for the original offense. If you pay the warrant, and if you, if you pay the fine, the judge no longer has any issue with you. It's the same thing with the Father. And the only payment he accepts is the blood of Jesus. And everything else is an outrage. Because you're trying to equate anything that you would say or do or believe outside of what he said to do, say and believe. Uh, you, you are equating that with the blood of Jesus. And... Think about this from his perspective. He sent Jesus. Him and Jesus were in agreement. Hebrews 12, with great joy set before him, speaking of Jesus, he endured uh, the affliction of sinners and took on the cross. So Jesus was in complete and total agreement, but it was the Father who put Jesus on that cross. And like it says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, he who knew no sin became sin for us. That Jesus took on our sin, and the wrath of God was poured out expressly on Jesus it wasn't him hanging on the cross that Jesus was afraid of. Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. And there are plenty of Christians who with joy went to the cross. Andrew being one of them. No servant is greater than the master. 
If they weren't afraid to die on the cross, that's not why Jesus was afraid. That's not why he was sweating great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was because he was going to take on the wrath of his father, and no one knew his father like he did. No one knew to the extent of his father's ability and capability to express utter hatred like his father. No one else could. No one else understood it like Jesus did. This is why he was sweating great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had to crush the natural instinct that is in a human being for self-preservation. Because with great joy set before him, he was going to endure the cross and bring hope to humanity. And he did. That being said, turn with me then to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 6. Jesus said, But if any of you causes one of these little ones who trusted me to lose faith, it would be better for you to have a rock tied to your neck and be thrown in the bottom of the sea. And uh, you may not think that this happens, but it does. Uh, especially if there's someone who legitimately gets born again in your congregation, and they seem a little excited. It's because, you know, they got snatched from a hell that they deserve and they realize it. And they've been shown nothing but tender mercy and kindness and love from God. They're happy. They're very happy. And then some old fart in your congregation says, Now, brother, you got too much zeal. One of these days you'll be just like us and you'll calm down. You need to shut that person up. You need to shut that person up. Yeah, can someone be a little enthusiastic? Absolutely. But I'd rather, I'd rather work with someone that's a little too enthusiastic and full of zeal than an old, dead, crusty church that wants to do nothing and is not born again and refuses to hear the gospel. I would rather work with someone who's overly enthusiastic. And I hope you would too. And you know, you start preaching the gospel, you're going to have people that are going to become overly enthusiastic. And it's because they're going to have new life in them. Because sitting in, in old dusty pews, you know, uncomfortable seats and stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. Don't be too long-winded because the football game's coming on or whatever the case. You know, that that's dead. That's that's just a, a pretty grave. Looks great on the outside, but it's full of dead men's bones on the inside. And Jesus here said that if you would block the way for that little one, it'd be better for you to go jump on the lake and drown. Because you're going to incur upon yourself the wrath of God for doing so. You will answer if you turn someone away from following the Lord. And if you refuse to preach the gospel, if you, especially if you know the gospel, and you refuse to preach it, or you preach contrary to it, it would be better to jump in the lake, because you're going to answer. You are going to answer for everything that you've said and done and preached. And if you refuse to preach the gospel, the biblical gospel, not the... This denomination's gospel, that denomination's gospel. No, 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 no. What, the, what Jesus commanded in the scriptures for his disciples to preach specifically, you will answer for that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm challenging you and I'm also providing you a chance. This is a time to turn things around. With things around and you say, you know what, I'm going to stand on the word of God and I'm going to preach the word of God. Or you can use this opportunity to shut everything down. You can say, I don't want to preach the word of God, so I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. And you know what? I would have more respect for you if you just shut things down instead of hurting one more of God's people. I really would. I would rather you just shut it down as early as possible than hurt another individual. 
If you absolutely refuse to preach the gospel, you need to stop while you're ahead. Which brings me to my next point. Turn with me to Luke 12:42. Okay, I need to speed things along here. Luke 12:42 and I'm going to be reading quite a bit. And the Lord replied, Jesus talking, I am talking to any faithful, sensible man whose master gives him a responsibility of feeding other servants. And the master returns and finds that he has done a good job. There will be a reward. Uh, his master will reward him and will put him in charge of all that he owns. But if a man begins to think, I, uh, my Lord won't come back for a long time and begins to whip the men and women uh, he is supposed to protect, and to spend his time drinking uh, at drinking parties in drunkenness, while his master will return without notice and remove him from his position of trust and assign him uh, in the place of the unfaithful. He will uh, severely be punished, for though he knew his duty, he refused to do it. But anyone who is not aware that he is doing wrong will be punished only lightly. Much is required from those who much is given, for responsibility is greater. So again, this is this is to you pulpit preachers. Again, I tell you, it's better to get out now if you just realized like how serious this should be taken, and you don't want to continue in it, man. Uh, again, I would respect. Now's the time. Your church may not even be meeting because of the COVID, you know, ordinances. Now's the time to shut it down. You can even blame it. I mean, if you're already going to be living in sin, you could lie and say, you know, oh, because of COVID, we're shutting down. You know. Not that I'm encouraging anybody to sin, but it'd be better to get out now if you want to get out. It'd be better to get out now because the one who doesn't know is punished less than the one who knew and didn't do it. And those who teach are held to a higher, uh, a higher standard. They'll be judged harsher. It'd be better to get out now. But if you if you know that you are called to preach, if you know the reason why you were here on the earth is because before you were born, God had called you and ordained you to preach. And if you're, you know, you're anointed, separated by the God, separated for the gospel, you're anointed by Holy Spirit to preach, and you know that, this is the time to turn things around. This is the time to start preaching in your community. And uh, you might be asking, well, how can I do that? In a lot of places, you know, if it's just you, you can go out. You know, a lot of places have ordinances that give exceptions for exercise or being on uh, sidewalks. Now's the time to get out. And just start preaching. Open air preaching. It's about one of the few things you can do. You know? Or if you go to a grocery store, you might you might be wearing a mask. And you may or may not be for and wearing a mask. That's neither here nor there in this message. You can hand out gospel tracts. You know? In the very least, get the message out. Publish the message. You can do a podcast like I'm doing. You can start using your social media. And just simply put, Luke 13.3, Repair and Perish. You can start preaching. There's ways to get the message out, even with the ordinances, is what I'm getting at. With that being said, turn with me to Galatians 1.8. Galatians 1.8. Again, this is from the Living Bible. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including myself, who preaches any other way to be saved than the one we told you about. Yes, even if an angel comes from heaven and preaches any other message, let him forever be cursed. So right here, Paul's giving the standard. If anything but what Jesus instructed us to preach as the gospel message is preached, it's a cursed message. 
and the one who preached it is cursed. It is not our message. It is not our message to edit. It is not our message, you know, will uh, or our own ambitions. It's not our message. We don't have the right to do that. We don't have the right to change that. If you want to preach, you know, rainbow unicorns, that's not the gospel message. You're entitled to preach whatever message is, is yours. But the gospel message, that's the Father's gospel. That's the Father's message. And we are mandated by Christ to preach the message that he gave us to preach. And it's not ours to twist. It's his. And honestly, being entrusted with the gospel should be seen as a very honorable thing. Because God is trusting us with something very precious and dear to him. It's the message about his son. And it is the truth, the information that people need to believe to receive God's salvation, which is the whole reason why the Son came in the first place. God is trusting us with something very precious and beautiful. And it should be seen as an honor and a blessing that God would even have anything to do with us, period. That he even sent Jesus, period. Because all of us are sinners. We have sinned. We have transgressed God's law. We have provoked him to wrath. And yet, he being so good decided that he was still going to love us anyways. And while we're in Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then more than just saying, okay, our accounts are square, settle, you don't owe me nothing, I owe you nothing. He's like, no, I want to call you a son, a daughter. I want to give you Christ's portion of, of an inheritance, everything that's mine. I want it to be yours. I want to show you that I love you. That is something beautiful. And then he says, I want you to go and share with others what I've done for you. Here's the gospel message. And I want I want to use you. I want to take you to work with me. You know, it's like daddy bringing, bringing a kid to work today. It's exactly what it is. And he's like, I want to use you. I want to use you as my mouthpiece. And I want to work through you. I want to do things through you. I want Holy Spirit to move through you, through the message that I've given you to preach, the the word that I've given you to convey. I want I want to use you in a powerful way. And in a way that everyone will know that it's that it's God working through you. We should be honored that we get to be called such a vessel, such you know, that we're children and that he loves us and he wants to do things with us and through us. This isn't a cursed message. This is the message that this is the power of salvation. You know, it says in First Corinthians. That being said, it's not our message to twist, to mess with. God is not a Burger King God. We don't get to have him our way. We've transgressed. We've messed up. We've provoked him to wrath. We need to meet him on the terms that he's provided. You want to gain audience with God? You've got to go through Jesus. You want, you want audience with Jesus? You want to get to Jesus? It comes by repentance and faith. With that being said, turn with me to Romans 10. Romans 10, 14. Uh, and I want you to think about that rich man that Jesus, uh, Jesus talked about, the rich man and Lazarus. That, that rich man who died and went to hell knew that there was no hope for him. So he pleaded of eternity, whether they be saved or not, would want everyone on this side of eternity in our mortal coils to hear the gospel message. Whether they hate God or not, whether they understand the reason why they are condemned, completely agree with it or not, they would want everyone to hear this because they wouldn't want anyone to wind up in hell. And with that being said, Romans ten fourteen. You know, let me back it up a little bit because I do have issue with this. There's a scripture in here 
that people use uh, as the gospel message in itself, and almost like a mantra, do they chant it? Uh, let me see here. They say it differently. Uh, you know what? I'm going to skip that part. Let's just go Romans 10, 14. But how shall they hear... How shall they ask Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have not heard Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them unless someone sends them? That is what the Scripture is talking about when it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace with God and bring glad tidings of good things. In other words, how welcome are those who come preaching God's good news. How is someone going to hear unless you preach it? How is someone going to know what they need to know for salvation if you know it and you won't say it? Again, I didn't find any of this out until actually after I got born again. God convicted me of my sin just like He said He would. I repented of my sin in response to God convicting me of my sin using my own conscience to... to uh, condemn me, and I cried out, you know, if there is a God, I need you to save me. Exactly how God said we are to meet him, he kind of brought me to that point. And he used the tool that he tells us to use. It says in Psalm 19:7, the law of the Lord is perfect in converting the soul. He was convicting me in my conscience. Romans 2:15, Paul said, all around the world, we either excuse or inexcuse our actions according to God's law, which is written on, it's written on every man's heart, and that we call it a conscience. So God used that very tool to show me my desperate need for Jesus, and I cried out, if there is a God, I need you to save me. And he responded. He spoke back. He said, be still and know that I'm the Lord. And when he said that, now mind you, I didn't grow up in church. I had hardly... Hardly, and I really mean that, like as conservatively as possible, I hardly had any kind of like Christian influence in my background prior to this moment. And one thing I did not know was that what he said was verbatim scripture. He said, be still and know that I'm the Lord. And when he said that, my physical dependency on alcohol, not some, you know, just the mental I need a drink, like I I had to have a drink or I was going to get sick, sick and I couldn't function. Uh, people who depend on alcohol can become physically dependent on it and it's a sickness, it's a disease and sometimes requires like an actual detox because your body cannot function without it. And I was at that point that if I didn't have a drink, my body could not function properly. And he said, be still known in the Lord. And when he said that, it was gone. He healed me of that disease. But what happened was he, when he spoke, he spoke new life into me. He breathed a new spirit into me, and I was no longer the same 13-year-old, you know, a minute prior, who's looking for beer bottles left by college students the night before. He made me someone completely different. The things that I loved doing, I no longer wanted to do. The debaucherous lifestyle I was living, I didn't want to have anything to do with it anymore. One of my biggest characteristics prior to coming to Christ was I loathed humanity. I hated people. You could have been on fire and I would have drank a glass of water right in front of you. And that's the truth. Having come to Christ, he took away that stony, cold, dead heart. And he put in me a heart filled with the love of God. 
and it was a big game changer. It, I knew God had done something when I realized I actually cared for people. And I'm telling you, with everything going on in the world today, all everything happening, all the ridiculousness, it's all rooted in sin. And Jesus needs to be preached right now. Repentance from sin and remission of sin needs to be preached in Jesus' name because Jesus is going to be the only answer to this problem. That's why some people are so angry because, you know, they're... They join some cause, or you know, they're part of some group, you know, and they're doing things. They're don't. Some people are even donating. Some people are out protesting, and they feel, well, this isn't going to accomplish anything. And there's a sense of frustration. There's a sense of frustration because you're playing right into the enemy's hands. The only thing that is going to solve this is Jesus. And the gospel needs to be preached again, and you community, church pastors need to start preaching the gospel. Because nobody's going to know unless you tell them. And with that being said, that's my challenge and that's my thing. Like I say constantly, and, and I actually have this as another podcast on here. And after this, I would strongly advise you listen to that one. And it's titled, If I Was Going to Die Five Hours From Now and Go to Hell, What Would You Tell Me? I really get into depth on the gospel on that one. And that's my question. If, if I'm on my deathbed and, you know, I was at a hospital and you were sent to talk to me. And I'm going to die and go to hell because I refuse Jesus every moment of my life. What would you tell me? What is it that I need to hear that's going to save me? If you don't know that answer, there, there's a big problem. And it's not, I'm not saying that to shame you. I'm, I'm saying that because you need to understand you, you got a problem. And that's you need to get born again. You need to encounter God. You need salvation experience from Holy Spirit that only God can do. Too often, for over 300 years, mankind has been trying to do a work that only God can do, and it's the born-again experience. We come up with uh, discipleship programs or confirmations or this or that and the other. We're trying to fill a void that we can't fill because it's something only God can do. That's why the Bible says it's by God's grace alone. It's by faith through grace alone, not of works, because we can't do it. And that work only happens when someone genuinely comes to God in repentance. That's God's response to a sinner's legitimate, contrite heart of repentance. His response is the born-again experience, and, and they will know God for the rest of their life and on into their eternal life. They begin eternity at his response. And I'm telling you, if you've never had that experience, now whether you've been a pastor listening or not, whether you've just been someone just listening, I'm telling you, you have to have that experience. John 3.3, 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, if you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. You need God to encounter you today. And as you're listening to this podcast, it's just me and you, and I have no idea who you are. I'm not judging you. I don't know anything about you. I don't know who's listening. But what God wants is that complete and total honesty. And just be honest with him. God, this is the person I am. I, this is the liar I have become. Uh, with, with the quarantine, this, this, I've, I've uh, dove into all kinds of perverse manners of things. You know, I've got a lot of free time on my hands and this is the things that I've been doing. This is the lifestyle I've been living. 
God will not shame you. God always responds to honesty, which is humility, with mercy every single time. And today you need to meet God and encounter Him today and begin the rest of your eternity with Him today. And I'm going to leave you with that. And pastors, I'm going to challenge you. Start preaching the gospel in your community. Start figuring out how to get the gospel message out in your community because it's our responsibility as preachers. The people that are around us, they are our responsibility. I myself, I, I, I'm not a uh, pastor of any church, but I do hit the streets. I do preach the gospel and I do take on that responsibility. It's our responsibility to preach the gospel and it's not my responsibility alone. And if you know, if you have revelation, whether you're a pastor or not, that it's your job, it's your mandate from God to you to go preach the gospel, go into all the world and preach the gospel, Mark 16, 15, you need to start doing that. And if you haven't, today's a wonderful day to just reset and begin everything fresh new. That's the beautiful thing about grace is you can start over today. You can start over every time you need to start over. It can all be under the blood. Even the blood guilt of hundreds of thousands of people that you might have met in your lifetime. God delivered me from that because that was ungodly. You know, I, I was weighted down with worry and with, with you know sadness because I was weighted down with, with the knowledge that I've passed a lot of people who have passed away and are in hell. I needed Jesus to deliver me from that blood guilt. And I read that from Psalms where David said, Lord, deliver me from this blood guilt. And I was like, God, even my sins of omission, the things that I should have done and haven't done, are under the blood. Today, that can all be under the blood. And you can start over today. With everything going on, you can, you know, people been saying reset, well, reset. Today's the day to change it. And today's the day to start preaching the gospel. And if all you could say is Jesus says, repent, or you will perish, uh, you know, something beyond uh, Jesus loves you. Tell them that they desperately need Jesus. You know, uh, free hugs ain't going to do it. Uh, Jesus loves you ain't going to do it. They need to understand they need a Savior. And He will respond with mercy. This is Kenneth Davis, the Kilted Preacher. And I'm uh, in this message now. Thank you so much for listening. Be blessed, be blessed, be blessed.